0: Awesome, amen. Hey, go ahead and grab a seat. Um, First of all, I want to welcome you all here. Thanks for being here. I know it is Time Change Sunday, and I know it is spring break. Um, And uh, the majority of our congregation are young families, and I even told Lauren last night, I was like, listen, if the boys have a rough morning, I feel no pressure to come to church um and i as i said i was like i guarantee that's what 99% of the people are in our church are having this conversation right now as well um and uh we know quite a few people um that won't be here but if you're listening to the podcast online i just want to say uh thank you for listening glad you're here and to the people in the room glad you are here as well it's good to see you guys last week uh i was up at the lake nona congregation and um lee and his family were down here um we missed you guys and it's always good to be with family uh, last week, Lee down here and myself up there launched a brand new uh, collection of talks called "The Path." The Path, and what these kind of collection of talks are going to be about, and last week kind of kicked it off, is uh, we're looking at Jesus's path. From last week, we started at the Transfiguration, um, from the Transfiguration to the Cross, and then um, at the end of the series, we'll reach Easter. Um, but we're looking at how we're looking at Jesus's path to the cross and on this journey of him to his purpose, how does it parallel with our path, our story, our life to on our path um, to find our purpose as well? And how can we apply those truths to our lives? Um, last week, again, we looked at the transfiguration. This week, we're going to be looking at something a little bit Different. Um, I have never preached on this before, nor have I heard anybody preach on this before. So it's new territory for me, but I'm really excited about it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 22. So if you have your Bibles, flip there. Uh, phones, swipe there. Um, if nothing else, it'll be on the Sky Bible, aka the screens for your convenience. Um, growing up, I uh, when the pastor would say, "If you have your Bibles, turn to." And then he would himself flip there, and you would hear in the crowd just a, everybody trying to find their spot. And we live in a different world. My Bible's on my iPad, and I'm assuming your Bible's on your phone. But um, uh, Or he used to be like, if you got your Bibles, somebody raise it and shake it and give a hallelujah, and people would do that as well. We don't do that here, uh, but if you want to, go ahead and do it. Okay, never mind. Uh, we're on a, a collection talk called The Path, Luke chapter 22, which is where we're going to be this morning. A little bit of context. Um of where we are in this passage, the time for Jesus to begin his journey to the, to the cross has begun. We are exactly three days before Jesus is to be tried and crucified. This is kind of where we are in the story. Um, the plan is set in motion. Judas has already struck a bargain to betray Jesus for some money. Um, this, this plan by the Pharisees is already set in They're already going out to gather the Roman soldiers to come and to arrest Jesus later on. And Jesus is not surprised or taken back by any of this. So in this moment of the foreknowledge of this plan that is being set in motion, again, just three days before he is to be considered guilty to the Roman government and to the Jewish people, he gathers his twelve, including Judas, He says, guys, uh, let's go to this room together. Let's go to this dinner table. So he gathers the 12, and they go, and they sit down at this table, and there's this Passover meal in front of them. They're about to celebrate Passover. Now, Passover, really quickly, was this celebration by the nation of Israel where they celebrate and remember their freedom from captivity in Egypt. If you remember the ten plagues, nine of them were plagues, the tenth one was God's judgment on Pharaoh's, uh, to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people for not letting his people go. And so what the tenth plague was, it wasn't really a plague, it was more of a judgment. Of uh, The tenth plague was um, God told Moses to tell the whole nation of Israel, go and kill a lamb and put its blood on the doorframe. And the spirit of death will pass over. And whoever does not have the blood of a lamb over the doorframe, the spirit of death will come into their home and take the firstborn. And so this happened over the nation of Egypt at the time. And it was the tipping point for Pharaoh to be like, just get out of here. Go. And so while yes, there was there it's it's cool, it's a picture of the gospel, there was freedom from in death. And so in this Passover, what they're doing is they celebrate the fact that there was a spirit of death that passed over them because the blood of the lamb was in front of them, not knowing that that's what was about to happen in their day in a different way. But the blood of the lamb was in front of them, so the spirit of death passed over them, but it went to the people that did not have the blood of the lamb over their lives, over their homes, over their doorframe. And so they celebrated by remembering, they didn't celebrate the death of the firstborns of Egypt, they celebrated remembering that that, was that Passover event was the thing that led to their freedom from Egypt. And so once a year, every year, they would sit down and have this meal that would celebrate Passover, celebrate the freedom from captivity. So Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23, we're going to read this really quickly. It says this, And when the hour came, he, Jesus, reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer in remembrance of me and likewise the cup after they had eaten saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood but behold the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table for the son of man goes as it has for the son of man goes as it is has been determined but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed and they begin to question one another which of them it could be who he Who was going to do this? There's, again, a lot to unpack here. um, And there's a lot of culturally cool stuff that is kind of ties a lot of stuff together. But we'd have to camp out in Leviticus and Malachi for a long time to cover everything. But what is Jesus getting at in this passage? What was so important in this passage that the disciples and and God uh, saw it worthy enough to be captured in Scripture? I'm going to paint a picture really quickly. My papa, my my dad's dad, um, was uh, just kind of that, you know, that best friend I had growing up. I used to fake be sick at school just so he could come and pick me up from school and we'd spend the whole day together. Um, I knew when I got dropped off at his house, if my mom says, hey, he's already had dinner, he's good, the second that door closed, you want McDonald's? Like, yes! Like, he was just that guy. I, I, I loved him. And I think we all need grandparents who do that, you know? If we don't need rule-keeping stickler grandparents. You know, as much as me and my wife beg my mom to, like, keep the rules, I'm banking on the fact that when my son is a teenager one day, he's going to tell me stories about what they did that went against everything we talked about. He, they're the reason he has ten crowns in, like, his mouth right now, you know? Like, I am, I'm banking on that to be true. Um, But he was that guy for me, and I I loved him growing up. He, I, he, uh, he. So when I was three years old, he had his leg amputated from the knee down, and I laugh at that because here's why. Uh, He told us he was in the war, and it had gotten blown off, and it got uh, it got amputated due to whatever from the war, and it it was because he was serving our country. At his funeral, I was told the truth, that that wasn't it. He came to grandparents' day at our school and told my whole class that had got blown up in the war. I'm sure all the grandparents were laughing at him because he could never specify which war it was. He was like, you know, the war. I'm like, okay, like, I believe you. Um, Well, come to find out, uh, he suffered, he had diabetes, um, and he lost feeling in his foot, He owned a glass company and at work he stepped on a nail. The nail went through his foot, didn't feel it, and walked around with a nail in his foot all day. It got infected, and that's why they had to amputate his leg from the knee down. I didn't find that out until I was 10 after he had passed away at his funeral. And I just remember being like, that guy is a legend. Like, he just took that to his grave. Uh, my younger brother, who was, let's see, if he passed away when I was 10, he was four, believed that story up until my younger brother was in high school, had never heard any different. He was like, you mean, you mean tell me Paul's leg didn't blow off in the war? No, he, he was a diabetic. He stepped on him. He was like, legend. <laughs> like It was just, we, that was amazing. Um, but in November of 2005, um, or 2004, Um my pawpaw passed away and um it was sad, it was a hard moment. That was the first close family member we had lost. And I remember that Christmas um we're all gathered around and um we're at my mama's house um and that's what we called the mama and pawpaw, and we're at my mama's house and we go through all the presents and my mama says, I have one last gift, Daniel, my dad, this is for you. My dad opens it up and it's my pawpaw's watch and um, my dad just loses it in front of our family, and just hugs his mom, my momma, and they just have this really, it was a really special and sweet moment, and that watch still sits on my dad's um, dresser at the house, and um, he wears it time to time, but it, it just, it sits there, and it's this really special thing that Um, my grandmother gave to my dad to remember. Remember, like, he loved you. Like, remember, like, this is something that was his. It is a gift to you. And when you think about that, or you think about, you know, when soldiers go off to war and they're injured or they give the ultimate sacrifice, they're given the Purple Heart. They're given a token of something to remember their sacrifice by. And Jesus, in this moment, what he's doing is this is his watch to his followers. This is his gift. This is his remember me by this. And he has this moment with his disciples that would become a practice in Christianity for a long time. And um, he establishes the Last Supper, what we call the Lord's Supper or Communion. And he's about to leave them, and late in the evening, Jesus takes a common Jewish celebration, a common practice, and does something absolutely incredible with it. So let's start with this. What is communion? Communion, by definition, is common union. So he looks at his disciples who are from all walks of life, and essentially is what he's saying, he goes, if it is the gospel that unites us, then nothing should actually be able to divide us. He's saying, you have common union with one another. You have this common thing together. In fact, the Apostle Paul, in almost every single church he planted in that day and age, he had them, every time they gathered, partake in communion. Because in this church, there was a lot of division. In these churches, there was a lot of different ethnicities, different social classes, different nations different people groups, and the Israelites didn't want the Romans coming in, the Greeks coming in, they didn't want all these different people coming in, and then the Roman churches didn't want the Israelites coming in because they brought the old school, you know, classic with them as well, and they're like, no, we need to do things by the law of Moses, and these Greeks are like, listen, we just signed up for this, and I know that that's not what we're we're supposed to be, so there was a lot of division in these churches, and what Paul was trying to wrap them around is this, this common union we have together and so we're going to partake in it and remind ourselves, and that's where we come up with the term communion. And it's a important reminder of the union we have to Christ. And if you don't take anything away from the message today, I want you to take this big bottom line, this big picture away this morning, that the Last Supper is a reminder of the promise of the gospel of Jesus. That the Last Supper... The Lord's Supper, communion, is a reminder of the promise of the gospel of Jesus. Think about this moment in the upper room. The disciples are sitting down, ready to celebrate, you know, probably have a couple jokes, like, built up in store, like, ready to tell Jesus what's been going on that day, and Jesus kind of just reclines. So he reclines back, and I imagine he just goes, guys, I've, I've, I've really been looking forward to this meal with you. I've been looking forward to celebrating Passover with you before before my suffering. And I can't imagine that the disciples were like, I don't know, they weren't like, suffering. You mean like this meal Peter's wife (laughs) like built up that kind of suffering? (laughs) Like, you know, nudging Peter, and Peter's like, shut up, man. (laughs) You know, I can't imagine it was like that. I imagine it was kind of the the silverware stops and people are just like leaning in and Jesus just begins to just talk and I just imagine this, this scene where the disciples are hanging on every word that Jesus says and he says, I won't eat again until I'm with you again in the kingdom of God and it's true, he did not eat from this point until his ascension. And then he took a cup or a jar of wine and he told them to divide it amongst their glasses and said that he wouldn't drink either and he didn't. Then he took the bread at the table and he broke it. It was no longer whole, it was broken and he said this key phrase do this in remembrance of me this this is my watch that i give you this is this thing i leave to you to the world no my followers and if you have put your faith in me then the last supper is to remind you of the promise of the gospel of jesus so sure, what are the promises of the gospel of Jesus? What do, we, what do we need to remember? Well, number one, that we need to remember that Jesus establishes communion so that you remember that you are a member of God's kingdom and a receiver of his grace. Jesus wanted to establish this because he knows how forgetful humans are. Um, I, I am terrible at remembering passwords because, like, have you ever done this? hey, Wrong password, incorrect password, incorrect password, incorrect password, incorrect password. I'm like, I've tried everything. I just need to reset it. And I go to reset it, and I type in a new password, and it's like, sorry, you can't use the old password. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? I swore this is the one I typed in, right? And I get locked out of things. It's just this whole thing. There was one time when I first got my license, um, I asked my dad if I could drive from our house to the volleyball game at my high school, it's like a five-minute drive, but I was like, sure, be sure to text me when you get there. Done. I get there. I'm having a good time, hanging out with my friends, being dumb. One of my buddies got kicked out of the game. Like, it was just great. We were having the best time of our lives. Um, and uh, my dad, I'm enjoying the game, and next thing I know, out of the corner of my eye, I'm up in the stands. I see my dad, like, park himself right there in front of the bleachers. He goes, hey, you here? I'm like, yes, sir. He goes, Yeah text me next time or else I'm taking that car away from you and leaves <laughs> and I just remember like uh and my buddies were like <laughs> and I just had to sit there in this awkward moment I forget things sometimes to the point where one time um my brother walks in the house uh, he was like dad's mad at me I was like why he goes I forgot to text him where I was and me and my buddies were there we're like yeah been there done that like you got to text your dad where you are if you get to a certain place. Um, I forget things constantly. If it's not written down or if I forget to put it in my calendar, odds are I'm not going to remember it. I can't tell you how many times I'm doing something and I get a text. It's 1158. Hey, we still good for our meeting at 12? Yeah, absolutely. And I have to run and I got to go figure out how am I going to get on Zoom? How am I going to get on FaceTime? How am I going to get 30 minutes away in two minutes? Like, I got to figure out how am I going to do this? We are forgetful people, I'm sure you would admit you do the sa- you are the same in some way. You are a forgetful person in some capacity. And forgetting things gets me in a mess. I don't know about you, but it gets me in a mess. It never gets me out of a mess. I've never forgotten something and it worked out for the good. And the whole Old Testament is riddled with the nation of Israel receiving blessing and provisions only to forget the goodness and grace of God which leads to the rebellion because of their forgetfulness, which leads to their captivity, and then eventually leads to their repentance, then which eventually leads to their blessing, which eventually leads to their forgetfulness, to their rebellion, to their captivity, to their repentance, to their blessing. And the cycle continues throughout the entire Old Testament of this cycle of, I am blessing you, thank you God, we've forgotten already, and so now we're going to go and rebel, and then there's captivity, and then there's repentance, and then there's blessing and deliverance, and the cycle repeats itself. And so here we have Jesus's strict commands. Do this in remembrance of me. Not to be a Christian, but to remember what was done so that you could be one. And Jesus didn't look at them and say that this will be you, breaks the bread. He goes, no, this will be me, and then he breaks the bread. And I will be broken out on that cross. And Jesus institute this new Passover, for he's about to fulfill the old and tell his disciples to do this, not in remembrance of Egypt, but of him. And so let this be something you do often, So that you are reminded that I am for you and not against you. That you are reminded in my death, death is dead. You are reminded that you are a son and daughter, and let this be a reminder of the overwhelming, abundant, and undeserving grace we have received and still received. He establishes communion so that way we remember what was done. Then he also establishes communion because he wants us to understand that Jesus brought in a new covenant in which he will never break. He did it to establish and remind us that he will establish a new covenant in which he will never break. I've been to Togo at West Africa a lot in my life. And when you go throughout the markets, they they still do sacrifices. They still do witchcraft over there. And I will say this, if you've ever walked through a market in that area, they have sacrifices that you can buy in the market to make to these different entities over there. And they smell. Blood smells. When you open up a carcass of something, it smells. It does not smell like perfume. It is not bed, bath, and body works. It is nothing like that. It smells awful, terrible, and it stains everything. It stains, it smells, it's nasty. There is nothing pretty about it. And in the Old Testament, this is what God commanded the nation of Israel to do. In fact, in Leviticus 17:11, when God is establishing how the nation of Israel is to sacrifice to him, he says, "For the life of the flesh is in the blood. There is life in the blood. And I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life." So what he's saying, he's he's talking about when you sacrifice the lamb To me, there is life in its blood, and there can only be life through death. And so this, this pure lamb that you are sacrificing is actually washing your sins away forever? No, in the Old Testament, for a time period, they had consistently do this. And then when they consistently do this, it was the sealing of the covenant that God made to the nation of Israel. And God didn't do it because God just wanted to kill lambs. He taught it and did it to teach the severity of our sin. And in the Old Testament, the blood of the sacrifice paid for your sins for the time being. This was the Mosaic covenant, the promise to Israel during the time of Moses. What is Jesus getting at here? Trey, what are you getting at here? What Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, take this cup, divide it amongst yourselves, and let this be a representation of the new blood that is going to be spilled. For I will bleed. And I will do so for you and for me in a way of a covenant. How glad this should make us. For this seals our covenant with God in all the promises he gives to his people. You ever made a promise to God you didn't keep? I can't tell you how many times I was like five or six years old and I said, God, uh, you know, and I was sick and I was scared of throwing up at the time. And I'd be like, God, I'll never sin again if you just don't let me throw up. I'll, I promise you, just don't let me throw up. And I'd end up throwing up and be like, well, I'm gonna go sin. I'm just kidding. I would be like, God, I promised you and I, I'd end up breaking promises. And then later on in life, it's finding me at the same sin for the millionth time. And I'm like, God, I promise you, I'll never do it again. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And then you step back into that again and thank God this covenant with Jesus that we have is not dependent on our promises. The good news about the gospel, the good news about the communion, the good news about the last supper and what Jesus is teaching is that this covenant is not dependent on us for God made the promise. And God has never broken a promise. He's a promise keeper and his promise says that his blood has paid our bill in full. Hebrews 8:12 through 13 says this, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more and this is God speaking and speaking of a new covenant he makes the first one obsolete and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away this old covenant that the nation of Israel remember Jesus is talking to Jewish people so while you and I are sitting here like I get what you're saying. This really has no impact for me. This just freed them from so much. And through time and culture changes and shifts, this may not feel super relevant to us, but I want to let you know that God has made a promise to you. And that the, infl- the impact of it was if the blood of a lamb can purify the sins of an individual for a time being, that the blood of Jesus can purify and wipe clean and make an in- a, a guilty person innocent for all of eternity. And that is the new covenant, that if you put your faith in me, my blood is on the doorframe. So when the God of the universe looks at your life, as sinful as you might be, if you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, God does not the spirit of death does not come to you and win. the spirit of death comes to you, sees the blood and passes over you. For death is dead in the life of Jesus and to those that follow Jesus. And number three, Jesus reminds his disciples of the future hope and ultimate reward of our faith. He says, "I will not eat with you again." until they were all with him in future and ultimate glory. Let this realign our hope that if our bill is paid in full, if our future is not eternal pain but eternal glory because of what Jesus did, then the Lord's supper should the Lord's supper should be this gift of remembrance that Jesus gave to his church. And it should be filled with joy and hope for the fact that one day we won't need to remember our future hope because we will be in our future hope and with him in all of his glory. And so the Lord's Supper is not some common and mundane Christian practice. It's where we make our space for a sacred moment of remembrance. If you have grown up in church, you know, if you've grown up in the Catholic church, it's it's mass. And it's just what you do. Sometimes when you come to uh, evangelical churches, you know, at once every now and again, and, you know, we do this, if we take communion, and it's just like, uh, I know, it's just going to get like crackers and juice. And growing up, it was a very common thing, and... um when I would go to like these parties or these weddings and they would have crackers and juice that's like hors d'oeuvres or whatever. I'd be like, oh, is this communion? Like there was nothing sacred about it. It was just what you did. It was just a part of the church. But this is not to be done in a mundane or just a normal rut that we get in. This is a sacred moment that reminds us that we are found in him that reminds us that it is his promise to us and that reminds us that there is an eternal glory, an eternal thing waiting for you and for me. And God's word says that he has prepared a table for you and that when we get to heaven, we get to taste and see his goodness and all of his glory. I think our society has lost sacred, or <laughs> we don't rest and remember sacred anymore. There's a group out there called Barna, and they did a study a couple years ago. And what they did is they did this study on sacredness. Um, and what they found here's here was here was the image they painted. Up in New York, there's this big museum that's devoted to the Holocaust, where you go in and they walk you through, and it's this somber museum where you just you realize the horrificness. You see the loss of humanity, but you also see the evil of humanity, of what humanity is capable of when you follow your own will and your own desires. And there's this tragic loss of millions of individuals from one nation.